0: Uh, For those of you who don't know you, so maybe from like, I don't know, when you were 21 until now, uh, in just like a few minutes. Um,
1: I would say 17 was a a seminal year in my life, Um, my senior year. In high school, I wanted to be an architect, was planning to go to college for an architect. Um, And I had an encounter with God, a radical encounter with God. I was raised in a Christian home, but... um, I was more interested in myself and, and what, you know, not who God was in the midst of that encounter with God, he radically changed the direction of my life. Um, And so in changing that direction, I ended up in a Bible school um, in Germany on the Swiss Austrian border with being next to the youngest person. It was what we would now call a gap year. We didn't know what a gap year was 40 years ago in 1975. Um, And I was in this gap year with 11 other nationalities of people from all over the world in an English-speaking Bible school that transformed my life. And from that, that point, nothing has been a normal, linear, just follow this path, do this, do this. Nothing has been like that in my life. Everything has been very... It was very unique because from that, my college roommate was a Bible smuggler. I ended up becoming a Bible smuggler in Europe and smuggling Bibles into communist countries. Um, almost went to jail. Um, make I helped build the secret compartments into vehicles. I then became a um, mentor, Bible, a leader for young soldiers on the mil- American military bases, um, discipling them. And then I became... Now, in between all this, I was coming back and going to college, and so I went to a college in Colorado, now called Colorado Christian University, Um, and so I would go a year, take a year or two off. It was a 10-year process to get my undergraduate degree. I was not conventional. My parents, nobody knew what to do with me. They were all saying, you'll never graduate. You'll never do this. I always said, yes, I will, but... you know, I sensed the call of God. And so he would take me back and forth. So I was involved in Bible smuggling, I was involved uh, in uh, working with military. And then I got called back to the military to be a youth pastor, one of the first ever hired by the government, youth pastors on a military base in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, that changed the direction of my life again, because the military officers that served with me they they came back to the States. So the reason I'm in Virginia is purely from the fact that two of these officers, one, um, his next duty assignment was in Charlottesville. And my, I got married and my wife and I were called to that church where I was a youth pastor. And then another military family when I left England from grad school, um, a few 10 years later, we went to Fairfax. Springfield Burke area which is a part of Northern Virginia and DC and from there then I I came to the chick-fil-a so I was in ministry for 20 years and I've been 18 years as a chick-fil-a owner now Um, so that's kind of a a weird path it's not normal
0: Uh, it definitely definitely sounds exciting though Um, and and a bunch of other other cool things yeah Um, I, I'm curious. So you, uh, when you mentioned like going into mentoring as a uh, youth pastor, and then and then before that, um, like how you think about mentoring um, in in general. So like even when when we first met, it was, like I was on my gap year, um, and it was only like a few hours, but it also sort of felt like mentoring. Um, so I'm curious. Like one, did someone take you under your, their wing when you were younger, um, and then two, like how has that How has that um, continued since then for you?
1: Um, I never, you know, it's really interesting. I I have never had what I would call a really an official mentor. I had different men that would come in and out of my lives. I would say by and large, my dad was my my real mentor. Um, But it was never an official thing with him. It was just living life together and loving me and caring And wanting the best for me. So believe it or not, during all this time when um, I was doing all these crazy things and not consistently staying with anything in the sense of, you know, I'd be at college and back to being a missionary. um, My father always supported me in this. Um, Partly because everything with him was, if you are following your faith, and I know you are then who am I to tell you that it's more important for you to get that college degree today? He never said that verbally. He just lived it out and he would always let me know. He was proud that I was willing to walk out my faith more than making my career. If that made sense. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, I knew I had, to get my degree if i wanted to pursue what i felt god was calling me to you know what i mean um i knew to be a professional pastor um i had to have a degree so it was a weird thing going on but my father never ever put me down and ever said you know what you are you're doing something stupid um it was always if you're following your faith and I, and, and doing what God calls you, then do it because that's more important. Mm-hmm. So that was my greatest mentor. When you think of it, to have that kind of a an example, which is a rare example even in the Christian world,
0: sure. having been a
1: pastor for 20 years and discipled many young men, uh, you know, and mainly military officers' kids and congressman kids in D.C. Those are the kids I work with, and there's so much pressure on them. The pressure on them was enormous to perform, to do the right way, to go to college, get the job, become successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we. I, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, we we certainly get a get a taste of that. Um, where where we're at. Um, but I'm also just so like you've used the word disciple. You've also used the word mentor. Um, and then it sounds like part of it has been in a, in a more like faith context, like with, you know, as a pastor, but then, um, like, do you think of mentoring and discipleship as something that, um, like you can incorporate into, for example, your job today at Chick-fil-A as well as you could when you were, um, like a full-time pastor?
1: I love it even more. Um, it's different. Um, but I love to bring young men and women into my store to become leaders. I don't expect them to have to um, become a Chick-fil-A owner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if that was to happen, that's awesome. And it has happened, but I'm just saying it. it's not what I expect. But the opportunity to um, bring someone in to have the ability to teach them how to lead a multi-million dollar business we are the business busiest restaurant chain in the world we are the um most profitable probably in the world right now um in our in our genre okay you know what i mean in our our type of, of restaurant um and it's unparalleled in any other restaurant chain of our our type the amount of business. And so I have 100 employees, um, which is, you know, I've had up to 140 employees, just depending on the cycle of things, right? Um, And so you're managing all that. And you're having to really, I just manage my managers, I don't manage anyone else at all. And I I can't, I I don't desire that anymore. I, I have friendships on my store, you know, with the guys and gals that might be 18, 19, 20, and I'll interrelate with them, but I do not manage them. I do not, if if, anyways, my mentoring is all done just by friendship and relationship and encouragement, I leave that to my managers you know what I mean? But if somebody like you were to come on to be a leader, then I would be involved in that process of mentoring you or encouraging you to me, Yeah. So. Gotcha. But but my bandwidth isn't big enough for a hundred people.
2: Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Tim, if you don't mind actually going into just how, how you became uh, a Chick-fil-A owner and, you know, we've heard it said that it, it's harder to become a Chick fil A owner than to get into, you know, Harvard or, you know, Stanford. Um, <laughs> statistically, and, it uh, is. And it and is. absolutely, it is. So um, clearly, there there's a, a, a very rigorous vetting process, and uh, we'd just love to hear how you got there and what they're looking for.
1: Do you, you know, this is
2: where, um,
1: yeah. Um, life, just because I'm a believer and because, um, I look like I have a great life and I do, I'm not saying that, but that doesn't mean I've had this nice, easy path. Okay. So, um, in the midst of all this, I mean, I, I, I am a man just like you guys are. Meaning I struggle and fail too. And um, I don't know how to share all every. I mean, it's not that I, I hide my life from people, but it's, this is a podcast. So the nuts and bolts of it as a young man, my my grip that Satan got into me was pornography. Okay. As a young man. Um, when I had my encounter with God at 17, he gave me just, he cleansed my life from that. Does that make sense? Um, for a long period of life, but that came back in my adult life where I started struggling with it in ministry. And that probably was the impetus that I just said, I can't be in ministry anymore. Even though people knew about it, I was getting help. I was overcoming it, but I didn't feel worthy to stay in ministry at that point in my life. Does that make sense? This is 20 some years ago. Okay. Um, and I still had opportunities in ministry. People knew me. Um, but in the process of that, one of my best friends was the head of fellowship of Christian athletes for now he's the second in charge of the whole of all of it worldwide, but he was in charge of DC. We were accountability partners. And he, in the process, when I was wrestling with, um, do I stay in ministry? Um, do I need to step out of ministry at this point in my life, just to allow God's healing in my life? Um, He's the one who suggested um, Chick-fil-A. He had a a guy on his board. Um, And that began the process of wrestling with that. It took over a year in my life. I was still in ministry, still being held accountable, going through some counseling. Um, But in that process, my wife and I were restoring relationship. um, You know what I mean? And um, making that right. Um, we decided to pray should I pursue Chick-fil-A because I also had a really good friend who had offered me a great ministry position in Tennessee who knew our whole life um, and what we'd been through and what we were going through. And um, he said, Tim, you come, you know, I want you, I think what you have to offer would be great, but you know, um, come here and heal whatever. But um, in that process, My wife and I prayed. I had three mission trips to lead all over the world that summer. And in the process of that, I've always wanted to be in business. I'd actually been offered a business. My wife's uncle, who lived in Brentwood, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, was a multimillionaire. When I was about 30, offered me his business. But he was a non-believing, half Jew. He was Jewish Lutheran. His, His mom was Jewish. His dad was Lutheran. Um, He was very anti-God, but he he loved us. He wanted us to have the business, and in the process, I turned that down. We would have had to, you know, move to – I'm a Californian anyway, so, you know, if that helps any understand, um, we would have been going home, sort of. But um, I turned that opportunity down because I just couldn't, you know, wrestle with, I'm doing business with him and the way he did business and my faith was you know, important to me. Um, so it was weird because now 10, 12 years later, the Lord's bringing business back to me. Um, and I never really ever thought I would be a businessman when God, had, you know, I wanted to be an architect, but when he called me in ministry, it was really clear. And, and then as he just led in my life, um, you know, but then later in life, that, that desire to be a business person started raising up in my heart um and so my wife and i prayed all summer long when i was on this mission trips leading mission trips um, all over the world we said we weren't going to talk to each other about it the lord had to speak to both of us individually because it was such a big move you know a big change um and so we prayed and at the end of that summer the lord revealed to both of us you should pursue chick-fil-a um and believe it or not, I did. And, and that was in September. In February, I was accepted to become an owner. And was in April, I was in uh, franchise school. And July 1st, I took possession of my first store in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and then four and a half, five years later, I built this store in Virginia and have been here for 14 years. Um,
2: uh, yeah, that, that's that's incredible, and uh, I think uh, it's it's great, and I really hope that a lot of our listeners hear that and, and see that as uh, incredibly encouraging. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, do you mind maybe going a bit into this franchise school and what what exactly the process sort of in general was, and what they were trying to sort of teach you guys as future owners? Um, you know, we've i yeah. uh, heard that Chick-fil-A's management training is some of the best out there. And so it'd be n- neat to maybe hear a bit of the secret sauce, uh, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, what people have to understand that um, Chick-fil-A is who it is because from the very top, it practices what it preaches. So the Cathy family are the most giving people you will ever meet and they practice what we call servant leadership. Our leadership, what we're encouraged to be, is not um, type A dominant boss, tell you what to do and you better do it. Now, some of that is, is a part of the job, don't get me wrong. You know, there are times you have to just say to somebody, you know what, you got to do what I'm asking you to do. Um, and but our style overall is servant leadership and servant leadership, as you know, is going the second mile. Um, So one of our main things that you'll find, even when you go to corporate is a large bronze structure of Jesus washing, you know, Peter's feet, you know, the whole concept of servant leadership, so we have a different philosophy. It is how do we love each other? How do we care? How do we create an environment that people want to work for each other and do for each other versus being told to do for each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really work hard on that. We train. We, it's, you know, we're not perfect. And, and everyone needs to understand you do not have to be a believer to be a Chick-fil-A owner. Okay, Um, at all, there's no litmus test. We are a normal business, meaning we're not a 501C, we're not a a Christian charity. So we legally cannot say that you can't be with us if you're not a a Christian. Right, yeah. Um, But most people self-select out because the culture is very dominantly Christian. Hmm. you know what i mean so you don't come into chick-fil-a as a non-christian and go you know what they bait and switched me they got me in here and now all they do is talk about jesus
2: right yeah Um,
1: they're persecuting me because of it i didn't sign up for this no you signed up for this because nobody hid it from nobody hides it from anybody in our company
2: right yeah so, you know, take, take us through that application process. Um, you felt the call uh, to, to go with Chick-fil-A. And so you. Ha, how does one get started even um, from this logistics standpoint?
1: Well, it is uh, an online uh, – no, it wasn't online then.
2: <laughs> um, it is online
1: now, okay? I'm going to try to give you what is today, not what I had to deal with because we lived just before the – giant internet you know the beginning of it um 20 years ago so now you would go to a a site um, that Chick-fil-A would have and you would fill out a a, maybe a two-page questionnaire I have not seen it okay um I just have friends that are interviewers and things that actually work in HR uh, and um The reason I get to know a lot of people at corporate more than most owners do because I lead so many mission trips for Chick-fil-A. So I bring staff and operators, owner operators and team members all over the world with me on Chick-fil-A mission teams because I'm a real, I'm a main leader in that right now in my life. Um, So I know you know the people that actually do the interviews. Some of them, so they, you know, they don't try to share much because they try to keep that pretty private. But I've learned a few things, and the first thing is a, a, there's a two-page questionnaire, and there are I don't know how many people reading those two-page questionnaires, maybe two or three pages that you will fill out. In the process of filling that out, um, they're ranking you, and they will not tell you how they rank you. Okay. okay. Um, and they rank you. And that ranking means, you know, if you're high enough up with whatever number, you'll get a personal phone call and get a, a 30 minute interview. And she told me it is 30 minutes to the T, we do not go beyond, you know that, I mean, we try to be fair with every single person that gets that phone interview. It is the same questions, it is the same length of time. And we have learned to corral people to say, no, we need to get you on to the next question. You know what I mean? Um, And so out of that 30-minute interview, they screen that down. And that person will pass on the number one people, let's say that she or he thinks can go on to the next interview process. That next interview process will be opening up uh, a, a part of the website for a long six, eight page, um, inter, um, application process where you then will fill out a lot of answers to who you are and about what you are uh, from there um, if you get through that then you know somebody's ranking that again mm-hmm. and that person ranks it and sends it up to the next personal interviewer which will give you another call which will be a two-hour interview on the phone okay Um, If you get through that, um, you're not filling out more paperwork, you are going to get another different person. They have, you go through at least three to four people have to interview anyone to become an owner. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you get through that, you'll go to that next interviewee. Then that interviewee usually flies to you. Okay. They come to you in a personal interview.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if you get through that, then they bring you and your spouse, if you're married, to headquarters for the f- hopefully a uh, final interview to make the fi- make final decisions. That doesn't mean because you go to headquarters you've got it either. Okay, um, because what they're doing is they have over forty to sixty thousand applicants right now for 125 stores.
0: Absolutely.
1: So they're making a funnel. And that funnel will come down to, let's say you, Jonah, say, I would love a store in Colorado or wherever. I And I want to be in that store. Um, so during this process, they're figuring out where you want to be. Is there a store that fits? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And um, then maybe three or four people that they all feel could, Be that uh, take that store in Colorado, will come for that final interview, but only one will get it. Obviously, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you will never be able to get a store. Um, It means you didn't get that store. Right? Okay. They'll say to you, "I've been told this by others." There are some people at the end of that whole process. They go, "You know what?" probably Jonah, we went through all this, it looked really good, but we probably wouldn't even consider you again. Mm. But most people, if you got that far. That's (laughs) brutal. It is, because I've I've had people that I've helped get all the way there that have told me they were told that. They said, we love you, you're Mm. great, but we probably wouldn't consider you for another store. Um, And uh, for whatever reason, you know what I mean? Yeah. Some of, okay. it, some of it purely is they don't think it's right for that person to maybe leave their community and there, there'll be no other stores. You know what I mean? And so they're not gonna uproot you from, let's say Las Vegas and move you to Massachusetts just for a store. Gotcha. Now they will if they feel it's right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, it is. So that, that's, the, that's the process for an outside candidate. Now there's a different process for an inside candidate. And that is where we as owners get the privilege of mentoring you and potentially you getting a Chick-fil-A. And the statistics are that 65% of those 125 stores will go to you if you're inside versus the 40 to 50,000 applying from outside. So their statistics of getting a store out of, okay. let's say this year we build 150, 65% of them go to the leadership in, my, in our stores that we're developing. So the other 45% are coming, or 35% are coming from those 40,000 applicants. So statistically, I'm an outside person. I, I should have never gotten a Chick-fil-A, statistically and if you ask me how i I don't know how except for the hand of god because in the process of this jonah and haruk god knew i needed to heal he took me to a whole new place in my spiritual life that i never would have ever known i have a faith and a desire and a love for jesus that I I had to be in a place where I wasn't under pressure anymore. Does that make sense? I wasn't living in the fishbowl as a pastor. I could um, live out my faith with Chick-fil-A vibrantly and filled with power, but still be being healed from my own sin. You know what I'm saying? And, and then I, I, you know, then God brought back that opportunity um, through Many other opportunities from doing many mission, leading many mission teams with my church, and now being a leader within Chick Fil A's whole mission wing. Um, that you know, and just so you know, I don't talk about this much with very many people. Does that make sense? I mean, my team doesn't know, but but at the same time, in in um, the reality of honesty, I know what real what what men we men go through.
2: I know what it's
1: like to struggle and be defeated uh, and finally to get up and have God bring healing. Um, and, and, you know, that's a part of our journey. Each of us, we all have sin that is, is, that has hurt us. We've struggled with it and it doesn't make me, that doesn't mean even in business. I, 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 you know, as a Christian that I was a perfect boss, a perfect man, you know, I struggled a lot in business, not in, my you know my personal life but just being a businessman the first few years was horrendous hard to figure things out you know I didn't make much money the first few years it was hard people assume because you're with Chick-fil-a you make a lot of money and that is not a bad assumption I'm just being honest with you Um, but it doesn't mean it always happens and I got in 18 years ago I got in before Chick-fil-a was a household name
0: Right
1: Okay, we were just not a household name we were We were in the ascendancy, we were going up, um, but in two thousand eleven is when we became a household name, not only an American household name, we become a worldwide household name. I shouldn't say household name. we become a worldwide name within the business world
0: right.
1: If that makes sense
0: maybe um, just um yeah. To, but to, to dive in on that, because um, especially I feel like your perspective of like watching that rise, um, what you think makes um, Chick-fil-A so effective? Um, and then I, I guess also maybe from your perspective of running a, a Chick-fil-A store, a restaurant, like what are some interesting things that we wouldn't even know to ask about um, in that space?
1: Um, well, Chick-fil-A is... Um the busiest restaurant chain in the world right now. Um, as I said, I think some of the fun, interesting things, these are just little stats. We are the world's largest lemon, and, lemon consumer in the world. Um, our lemonade is now our number one drink. It's past the tea. We, we could never believe that. So we are the, the number one lemon. We buy more lemons than anyone else in the world. We only 2,000 restaurants. We're 2,200 restaurants. Oh. So do the math. That's not very many restaurants. McDonald's has 30,000 worldwide. Oh. So we really, we have no footprint. You know what I mean? Compared to Starbucks, compared to McDonald's, no footprint in reality. Um, we're the largest peanut oil consumer in the world. We're consuming over 25% of the peanut oil. We're trying to figure out ways how to slow that down. We're probably, I think we're probably the largest uh, chicken you know, consumer in the world now. Mm-hmm. You know, for a chain, a restaurant chain, right? Um, we outperform McDonald's. The average sale at a McDonald's a year is um, about two point seven million dollars.
2: Okay. And
1: our average sales per Chick Fil A unit is seven million.
0: Wow.
1: Um, and we're close on Sunday. So statistically, you do the math. That means we're like an $8 million. You know what I'm saying? If they were to take out that Sunday, what would their sales go down to? Because it's the busiest restaurant day in America. Right. Um, So, you know, do this the math, it even puts us at a larger gap. Then and they're the they're the next largest producer, okay. None of the other restaurant chains do more than McDonald's. They are after us. They're the biggest uh, sales per unit. Burger King and KFC all are around one point five six million a year. Um. So it's it's incredible. Um, you know. The difference is so large that it's hard to even grasp. You know what I mean? Um, it, you know, there's just no comparison. I, so, what, what happens is, is when people come in and watch our operations, people that have, you know, we'll interview people that have worked for McDonald's or worked for Burger King, and, you know, we'll ask them, you know, what was, you know, oh man, they're talking about, we know what it's like to be really busy. And, you know, so my manager is like, so what was a lunch hour for you? oh, we did 3000 Oh, we did $500 or something. You know what I mean? Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our average lunch hour is at least $3,000. Wow. You know, um, so to give a good example, you're from New York City, right, Jonah? One of my best friends is a Korean lady. She had a store down here. She went back and opened the one two years ago at Grand Central Station.
2: Okay, yeah. I know exactly.
1: she's she's a lawyer so I can put you to talk with her owner <laughs> she graduated from Rutgers I think she got her law degree she went to NYU for undergrad or whatever um, but she's a Korean woman came at 15 years old now this is how bad it is this is stays here you know I mean well no I mean it's, I, New York City when it shut down she went from doing a lunch hour of $12,000 from 12 to one to doing $6,000 for the whole day. Wow. And now when, the, when I talked to her a month ago, she was up to $10,000 for the whole day.
2: She was mm-hmm. doing
1: over a million dollars a month, basically in sales. At And you know where Grand Central Station is?
2: Yes, yes.
1: And you probably know where her Chick-fil-A is, right?
2: I think I seen it. Um no, a, you know that
1: giant new skyscraper they're building? Right next right yeah. next to Grant? Right?
2: It's gonna be um, as big as the
1: Empire State Building.
2: Huh, across this the- is not this is not the Freedom Tower, is it?
1: I, yeah, no the Freedom Tower's the, the that's down at that's down at um um you know nine
2: eleven. Right, right. No, yeah. this
1: is right where Grand Central Station is.
2: Okay. No, I haven't actually heard about that often. See. Oh, it's a massive
1: building they're building. But
2: she's across the street. If you walk out of <laughs> a building
1: and you turn to the right, um, you would see Grand Central Station across the street.
2: Right. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, so. Um,
2: yeah, that's, that's rough. Shoot.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's okay. bankrupt, basically. I'm being honest with you. Chick-fil-A is that Chick-fil-A wasn't underwriting or she would be bankrupt.
2: Yeah. Man. Faru, uh did you have something to continue
0: on? Yeah, so this was just something you mentioned um, a little bit earlier back, but you were talking about leading the um, mission trips for Chick-fil-A. Um, and I also know that you've done some work with their um, philanthropy unit. So I'm just wondering if we could, um, maybe as our, watching the time, maybe as our last question, just... Um, sure. Get some of your perspective on that.
1: Well, one of the things I was allowed to, I got invited into doing a Chick-fil-A has a has like four or five philanthropies. We have different charities. Um, we give back in the many areas of the, of, the, of the world and the nation. But because I, I love international, we have an international division where we send people all over the world mm-hmm. to um, father the gospel kingdom, but to use business as that platform. Um, when you're a world-class company people all over the world love to hear you speak and share like you guys are asking what is it what's it like to be with Chick-fil-a what's it like to run a business what's it like so we take and combine that with um, working with mission organizations Christians all over the world that want to be able to further the gospel but do it in a way that people will listen because hey some Chick-fil-a owners are coming um, and Hey, they're going to talk about business. They're going to talk about you know, depending on what country we're in and where we're at. Sometimes we never talk about our faith much. It's very low key. We go into China. We go into an Arab country. You know what? Um, we're not going to say. We're not going to scream the name of Jesus much, right? Um, but you know, if we're in countries we can, we, we're we're open about it. That's how I met Farouk. I was leading a team to Israel, um, and mm-hmm. I don't know how many was on that team at the time. Probably 10, 12. Yeah. Um, even had one of our vice presidents uh, on that. I think on that team. The big was there a giant black man on that team?
0: I do not think there was. Do you remember, Farouk. I yeah. I don't I, think there was. But I I've been wrong.
1: five times in the last I've been nine times in Israel last five years. So, um, oh. so. I don't remember what team I had with you when I met you, <laughs> um, but one of you—you know—I forgot what was the question. then again, um,
0: just how? Um, I mean, because for example, the the—if you look at the big philanthropists of I don't know, like you know Bill Gates, where he has like Microsoft and then like the Gates Foundation. Um, and, you know Zuckerberg, he has Facebook and then the the uh, the Zuckerberg Foundation, but. Chick-fil-A, it seems, has found some medium of doing both um, in a way that's, that's pretty uncommon, at least as far as I can tell. Um, it is, and, and, and we actually tried,
1: Chick-fil-A is trying to, to keep it quieter, the amounts they give, because one, it creates a lot of controversy, as you know, but mm-hmm. also it's not biblical to go flouting what you give people. Right. You know, that's, that's pride. Um, you know hey man we give a lot of money mm-hmm. so Chick-fil-A is saying look you know guys you know God, God will bring the, the benefit to the world and we don't need to trumpet our horn on how much money we spend um, but you know we, we do a lot of stuff but, but it's not the goal to make everybody know how much we give if that makes sense For sure. um, it's, you know we don't hide it, but we don't trumpet it either. Right, gotcha. Um, but yeah, and, and I think there's one other thing you guys talked about, and that was, how do I know who to mentor? Um, and I never talked about that. Mm-hmm. One, it's gotta be organic. There has to be a connection with somebody. You know what I mean, a relationship. I think one of the best examples of what God has done the last few years, um, I had a, a young guy um, in my store a few years ago that was um, going to Calvin College. He was raised as a missionary kid in the Philippines, um, born in the Philippines. Um, and he was selling books. And he was a phenomenal salesman and literally would make twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a summer going door-to-door selling education books. And he got posted to our county. And he came into the restaurant and he was 20 years old, your age or whatever, Um, I think is into the sophomore year. He came in, I just connected with him, sat down at his table, got talking, next thing you know, he's crying. He's not the kind of guy that ever cries, but it was just a a terrible day. You know, it's been really hard. I think it was his first summer ever doing this, you know, selling books door to door. And um, we hit it off so well that he ended up Coming here, and and becoming my manager for two to three years to try to become an operator. Ended up marrying a gal here. Um, ended up he didn't get into a Chick Fil A. I think he still could, but now he still lives here. He hasn't. He started another business. He's doing really well, and we're still best friends. Mm-hmm. And um, he's probably what twenty six now, or twenty. You know what I mean? Twenty seven. Yep. Has two kids. um, Been a part of his wedding. You know, get to still encourage and mentor him. Um, But that's just someone coming into your restaurant, and the Lord brings a divine connection. And that's what I look for: is does God bring a divine connection? And and a divine connection is something where your souls and your hearts connect, Mm -hmm. and you just know you want to help and be with each other. Do you know what I mean? And that is, is you just, you can't plan that. You can't script it. It doesn't happen because I'm gonna go out and find somebody today to mentor. It's just God, who, where, how, you do it if you want it.
2: Especially- You can't force mentors and you can't force mentees.
0: Yeah, and we, cause on campus, we're near the business school. And so you hear a lot of like mentorship and oh, this person is my mentor. Um, but getting to hear that perspective is is really refreshing.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So as yeah. our um, go ahead. Yeah, if you
2: don't mind, Tim, you can you can finish your thought. But uh, just as our closing question, uh, we wanted to ask, start asking everyone that we interview, um, what is the best decision you made in your twenties? Uh, oh. And it, it can be a tough one. There can be maybe two or three, but. Oh. We want to close with that. Um, There are, um, but I go back to that
1: that my 17 year old self, when I submitted my life to Christ, when I, I, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs and I haven't even shared most of them, as you know, because our lives are all complex, but that is the anchor I can look back to every single, I gave my life truly to the God of the universe. And the God of the universe invaded my life in such a way that I can't imagine anything else that has ever happened. Even the bad, even the struggles, even the pain. I mean, I I haven't shared we lost a son. Okay. So I only have one son, but we have one in heaven. You know, the things I've gone through, it doesn't, it pales in comparison with knowing that I made a decision that God invaded my life in such a way that I wouldn't. I just never want to turn back from that. And
2: Mm.
1: without that decision, I I, I wouldn't sit here talking to you now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible.
1: Yeah. My last parting words to you would be, it's more important to listen to God when it comes to your career than it is what you perceive the world wants you to do Mm. or your family. Um, You know, uh, he, if you're going to be a radical Christian, meaning you're going to really walk with him, then you have to be prepared for radical things to happen. And, you know, so often we get stuck in a mode that we think we have to do things the way the world tells us, get our, you know, graduate, undergrad degree, get our graduate degree go out and be a successful businessman. And I'm not against all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need people like that. But if the Lord touches you and speaks to you and says, you know, be willing to do something crazy, maybe for a year or two, doesn't mean you don't come back, but I can tell you those things that I did during those, those times I did the crazy stuff are the things I are now the, the anchor in my life, the experiences, the people, the friends, Friendships I have, they're the best friends, because Mm. you did something together that was was just not normal. Does that make sense? You don't go smuggle Bibles and almost get caught with somebody, another young guy and and, and forget that. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: It's not like just going to some Bible study once a week (laughs) at your college. It it, it is life together in something where you had a shared cause and you knew you would suffer together. If you were caught, you knew that you had to trust each other beyond any measure of trust Mm
2: -hmm. that you
1: ever can imagine right then. Um, And you can't get those experiences back later. I mean, you can, but when you're young, you have an opportunity when you don't have things encumbered upon you. You don't have a wife, you don't have children. You can't just say, I can't pick up. I mean, that's why Paul talks about being single and, and, and saying, you know, I have a freedom to do what God's called me to do beyond any measure. You know, I mean, imagine if he had been married. Could he have done all those missionary trips? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he, God anointed him and p- positioned him you know, for something. And I don't know what God has for any one of us. And I'll never presume, presume to say what he has. All I can say is listen if, and don't be scared if it isn't what everyone expects the normal to be. And that is very hard to go against because sometimes it goes against your parents. It goes against the other believers. They look at you like you're crazy. It goes against the world. It goes against your professors. My professors who were Christians were looking at me like, why are you going out again? I said, I will be back. I know I will. Yeah, we don't believe <laughs> you. That's really what one of them said. We don't believe you'll come back. Yeah. Statistically, they were right. Does that
2: make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, really good. I feel like that's, that's part of what we're trying to, I guess – Encourage or less minimize the minimize the the, the supposed risk um, of people, they're more or less young Christians taking big risks, like even smuggling Bibles. I mean, that that's something we think that there are so many stereotypes about what's meaningful after college, and in reality, I think what we're trying to get at is there are these risky decisions that totally fall outside the norm but actually have very limited harm but really almost infinite payoff um with regard to you know your own trajectory spiritually and, and also professionally.
0: Yeah.